What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Tuesday, July 17th, 2018. I am Will Brinson. I am your host, holding down the fort as we hurdle into the NFL season. Training training camp is, in, is on the way. Training camp is almost here. Franchise tag deadline has passed. We'll get to that news in just a second. We will also talk to Bryant McFadden. Follow him on Twitter at BMAC underscore sports talk. Watch him on CBS Sports HQ. You can do that at cbssports.com backslash live or by downloading the CBS Sports app on any mobile device or Apple, Amazon, Roku, whatever you use, you can watch HQ on there. Highly recommend it. The franchise tag has come and gone. The deadline for the franchise tag was Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern to sign anyone who's given the tag to sign them to a long-term deal. Otherwise, they must play out the entire season under that one-year tag, which means no new contract for Le'Veon Bell, which means no new contract for Demarcus Lawrence of the Cowboys, no new contract for Ziggy Ansah of the Lions, no new contract for safety LaMarcus Joyner of the Rams. Those four guys will play this season on a one-year deal. The not really a surprise for most of those guys, you know, Lawrence and Ziggy Ansah would like to see the leverage increased and try and break the market set by Olivier Vernon on four, three defensive ends. We'll see if their team wants to let them do that. Um, you know, wouldn't be surprised if the Rams retain Joiner, but they got to be a little bit careful because they're worried about paying Todd Gurley. They're worried about paying Aaron Donald, et cetera, et cetera. The far more interesting guy in all of this to me and to really everyone is Le'Veon Bell who has been offered a lot of money by the Pittsburgh Steelers over the past two years, but has declined to take it primarily because he believes he should be paid like a top running back and a top wide receiver. Now you can debate that all you want. The The statistics say that only 15 guys in the past two years have 300 receptions or more, and, uh, and Le'Veon Bell is the only running back among that group. When you add in guys over the last two years to have 300 catches and 2,500 yards from scrimmage, there are only three guys who hit that threshold, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and Julio Jones. And Le'Veon Bell destroys him in total yards from scrimmage because he's getting the catches, his yards per catch is much lower, but his rushing totals are through the roof, and he's just been dynamic. And according to a report... The Steelers offered Le'Veon Bell a deal. This is per NFL.com. The Steelers made one final offer to Bell on Monday, just hours before the NFL's 4 p.m. Eastern deadline. The offer from the Steelers was worth a total of $70 million over five years, which works out to $14 million per season. It would have given him, it would have made him easily the highest paid running back at average annual value. It reportedly had. $33 million in guaranteed money. He would have been by far the highest paid running back across the board for all of these factors, but he wants to get $17 million a year, according to reports, and now it seems like he's going to leave the Steelers after 2018. Now, um, Mike Tomlin said, we want to get a deal done. He wants to get a deal done. Everybody has said that. It's just about the negotiators. When you see what the Steelers have said about it, um, you know, 
they said, look, we hope to get a deal done after the 2018 season. But come on, that I mean, Kevin Colbert has to say that in a statement. I don't, you know, I don't mind him saying it, but it's just not going to happen. Like Le'Veon Bell isn't going to play out this year on a franchise tag and then not test the open market. The Steelers will be able to franchise. I mean, be able to transition tag him after this offseason. They'll be talking about that too. That's not going to happen. This is Le'Veon Bell's final year with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then he's going to hit the open market unless if he gets hurt and he's willing to sign a lower cost deal or something like that. Or maybe, as Dave Damashek posited on this very podcast, perhaps the, the Steelers win the Super Bowl and they agree to some deal to keep Le'Veon Bell around and keep making a run. I mean, that that's possible. You know, I mean, you could see that happening. But but by and large, uh, you know, it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Now, Le'Veon Bell said to all my Steelers fans, my desire always has been to retire. He tweeted this out. At 4.06 p.m., my desire has always been to retire a Steeler. Both sides worked extremely hard today to make that happen, but the NFL is a hard business at times. To the fans that had hope, I'm sorry we let you down, but trust me, 2018 will be my best season to date. Now, what's interesting about that is you would anticipate if he does want to have his best season to date, he will be there for week one. He will not hold out. There's been some talk that Le'Veon Bell would skip games. If he wants to have his the best year of his career, he'll probably be there you know, for the preseason or most of it, maybe some training camp. We'll see how that plays out. Last year he showed up after the third week of the preseason, signed his deal, and then started playing. Um, it, you know, if, he, if, he, if he misses any time, he would miss about $853,000 per week. Probably not going to miss any weeks. He's going to, you know, you know, if he wants to sit out the full 10 weeks, he's going to lose $8.5 million in salary. The logic behind sitting out would be that he wants to save his body for a free agency, doesn't want to suffer an injury. Uh, I think it's likely he comes in and plays, plays his tail off, tries to dominate again in 2018, and then tries to cash uh, cash in big in free agency. We will see. A um, lot, lot to play out here, but, but certainly um, you know, it stinks because it means Le'Veon Bell probably – Going to play his final 16, plus maybe more, games for the Steelers. Let's talk some more news and play a game of a spirited game of Would You Rather with Bryant McFadden. What's going on, my man? What's up, Will? Great day to be alive, isn't it? It is a great day to be alive. It's very nice outside, or at least it is here. It's hot. It's getting hot. Training camp is kicking off this week. We were saying before we got started, you can feel the football in the air, right? Oh, no question. Summer is over. You got rookies reporting to training camp this week. I mean, you can smell the football grass in the air. (laughs) And, and you know, you could also tell that, like, the little brief football vacation ended because – so, like, on Mondays, there's always – Mondays in in the offseason, every, you know, every week, there's always some sort of, like, news dump of of a kind – not news dump, like – there's always columns and people are trying to lead with newsy things and you have to reach a little bit because it's the off season to try and find comments from notable people. And that happened. Uh, well, it's worthwhile mentioning like Peter King, who's a longtime NFL writer, left the MMQB and went to work for NBC Sports full time. And he has a new column there called Football Morning in America. And meanwhile, uh, I think Albert Breer will be taking over his MMQB column. But Robert Klimko, not just name dropping, just but it's Robert Klimko is filling in for him on the Monday that we recorded this, and both columns featured some fairly uh, notable commentary. So we'll get to that. Um, but I thought the biggest item coming out of it, Richard Sherman said to told Klimko that the Seahawks have quote 
And remember, of course, Richard Sherman now with the 49ers signed with them this offseason, longtime member, original OG member of the, of the Legion of Boom, said the Seahawks have, quote, lost their way, end quote, and that, quote, mistakes and poor judgment on things ruined what could have been a really special deal, end quote. Bryant, my question to you is, is Richard Sherman holding on to this too long? Should he let go and go be a 49er, or is this sort of anger and motivation just part of what drives him? Well, before I answer that question, Will, do you believe he's specifically talking about his situation with the Seahawks as an individual? No, no I think, well, I mean, and I, I, did, I, I took the quote out of context. But so he, he did say, he's like, why wouldn't you pay Earl Thomas? He's talking about how things ended, but also how they're handling things now. It's like basically sticking up for Earl Thomas, but also pointing out that letting Richard Sherman go, letting Cam Chancellor go, you know, letting all his boys go is, is sort of where he was going with it, I think. Yeah, well... I think most importantly, outside of the names that you just dropped with Cam Chancellor basically retiring. So, of course, they wanted him to remain in a Seahawk uniform, not knowing the status of Earl Thomas outside of 2018. I believe Richard Sherman is more so talking about when he's mentioned the decisions. That Super Bowl loss to the New England Patriots, because for one, we know how vocal Richard Sherman was and disappointed he was in that call. And I think that eventually led to where we currently are with the Seattle Seahawks as far as the Legion of Boom no longer being intact. So a lot of that as far as that one play in the Super Bowl loss, because we for one all felt from the outside looking in, the Seahawks had a dynasty in place. They were ready to dominate the National Football League for the next four, five, six, seven years consecutive mm -hmm. and because of that horrible decision Pete Carroll and his staff made we may never see Russell Wilson play in another Super Bowl wow. it's safe to say because how difficult the league is and Richard Sherman knowing how tough it is to get to that moment and every year the team will be different and we're seeing that now they're totally different than what they were four or five years ago I believe that was the biggest domino that led to this team becoming a new identity and having a new personality. So for me, I don't have an issue with him not letting that go because that's that's a once in a lifetime moment, especially when you're talking about in a professional football life, lifetime. It's mm. a short career. We all know that. So I don't have an issue with him holding on to that. Yeah. In other words, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like he's and I mean, like the wounds are still fresh. I mean, he was he was. And you saw the way that things went with Richard Sherman. You know, I think for, I mean, you know, he, he signed quickly with the 49ers, which was almost, it wasn't like, like the four and the 49ers admitted later, they played on his uh, bitterness back at the Seahawks for how things ended towards him. Like, Hey, you're going to get to go against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks twice a year, buddy. You come play for us and you will get two shots at your old team, and and I think that is part of it. I think it'll I think it'll drive him to to play well, to play at a high level this season. I wouldn't be surprised if he made a Pro Bowl this year, playing for the 49ers. Now it's also possible, and you know this better than me, but I mean not not as someone who dealt with an Achilles injury, but but having to play cornerback with you know coming off a ruptured Achilles tendon. I mean that's that's the sort of thing where um, you know the the physics and the movement and all that don't really pair up well with the injury. But if if anybody was going to do it, I could see Richard Sherman doing it. I, I do wonder if he wouldn't be better served, though, to at least 
um, maybe turn inward or, or focus towards the 49ers, but maybe if he's driven by that chip on his shoulder, then this is a net positive. Oh, no question, because he made it known that a big part in his decision for 49ers was knowing that he would participate against his former team twice a year. So he has that revenge uh, uh, chip on his shoulder, and he wants to show the San or the Seattle Seahawks, you you guys let me let me go a little too early. I still have a lot left in the tank, and you better believe he's going to be extremely motivated when these two teams face off in 2018. Yeah, at the very least, he's going to come away from this year with like two interceptions of Russell Wilson <laughs> at a bare minimum. Goodness, if he if that happens, oh, you won't hear the end of that. What do you think his celebration would look like? Do you think he just sprints over and just like? Does like a, a dry uh, like a like an air hump in front of Pete Carroll's well, face or something? <laughs> I, I don't expect to see a huge celebration if that was to happen. And we're talking about Richard Sherman picks off Russell Wilson each game they face off in 2018. I more so see Richard taunting the sideline, the coaching staff, because he has nothing against the players. Because of course the players had no, uh, they had no, I guess input on the team not re-signing or keeping Richard. So more mostly it's about. Pete Carroll, the staff, talking trash to the staff. So I can easily see Richard Tonin, the staff, if that was to happen. I would. I, I think that is a very, uh, very good get that, or a very good guess that Richard Sherman will do that. Uh, elsewhere in the news, Le'Veon Bell, according to Adam Schefter, could consider sitting out up to half of the season. Here's the quote um, from Schefter of, of ESPN, of course, who was on Sirius XM radio with uh, our friend Ross Tucker. He said, Quote, I think it's possible Le'Veon Bell sits out the first half of the year. If he doesn't get a deal done, the goal would be to hit 2019 free agency healthy, not rack up another 400 touches, end quote. Worth noting, as we record this, it is Monday morning. The franchise tag deadline is today um, at, at 4 p.m. So when people hear this, we'll know whether or not Le'Veon Bell gets a new deal. I think it's probably unlikely that he gets one, Bryant, but... Um, and, and assuming he doesn't, do you think he would really sit out half a season? Nah, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so, and here's why. We're talking about a guy that loves football. He loves football. Granted, he does not love the way his contract negotiations have been going so far. Year two, we have the same storyline. Will he be uh, in training camp? Will he be uh, in uniform week one? We had this the same issues a year ago leading up to 2017, and guess what? Week one, he was there. He loves football. He loves participating with his teammates, and that's something that you cannot duplicate. You cannot you cannot find a substitute for that. So with that being said, I understand being cautious of your body, making sure you're as healthy as possible for a potential free agent's opportunity in 2019 is huge for him and his agents, but this is a guy that loves the game of football, he loves his teammates. He still he has a lot of love for the Steeler organization, and he will participate. I don't see a guy that loves the game of football as much as Le'Veon sitting out half of the season. I don't see that happening. I, that's a, that's a really good call, and I think um, I, I'll, I'll ne- I mean, I'll never. Like, I'm sure he doesn't remember it, and that's fine. But I, I will never forget doing an interview with Le'Veon Bell um, after the 2013 season up in New York on Radio Row, um, and that was. Oddly enough, when the Seahawks won their first Super Bowl, as we tie those topics together, and it was after Le- Lev Bell's rookie year, and I remember talking to him, and he was like, "I was like, man, so he was like, you know, he, we were sort of 
we did the interview and we're sort of talking like some some fil- film stuff and strategy. I was like, and he was like, man, I want to be in the media when I'm done. He's like, I love break or like coaching or something like that. He's like, I love breaking down film. This is my jam. And I know that lots of football players, obviously, you know, I mean, love looking at film and examining the game. But there are there's a smaller portion. I don't think people understand that 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 really love football. And and he qualifies as one of those guys, right? No question. No question. Listeners listening to us right now. Just imagine whatever it is you love, you love, you're passionate about, you cannot live without this and threaten to walk away from this for that, whatever that passion is. If you love donuts, (laughs) coffee, what about all the coffee lovers out right now listening to us, Will? They're out there. They're out there listening. I know people drink coffee religiously. You mean to tell me you coffee drinkers out there listening to us right now will sit help? We'll give us. We'll, we'll put a threat out. Say, you know what? I'm done with coffee right now because it's too high. Guess what? <laughs> you may only last maybe a week, but you will you will humble yourself down and pray to pay the price of that Starbucks coffee or whatever coffee it is that you drink because you love it. This is a guy that loves football. He understands the financial issue that is holding him up. But you're talking about sitting out half of the season, and so if he's sitting out half in the season, listeners. You don't think he's watching football? You don't think he's watching the Steelers? That would get him even more hyped up to return to action, in my opinion. Because when you love a sport, when you love something, you just can't turn that off. It's not a it's not an off on off uh, switch. You just can't turn it off and just take away the love. Because if you're able to do that, guess what? You never love that thing in the first place. Nah, you're right, and. It's so tricky for the Steelers in this spot, and I, I like I don't honestly. I mean, I know what they should do, based on. But see, to me, like Le'Veon Bell is so different than any other running back in the league. Like you can put Ezekiel Elliott, and um, you know you can put David Johnson, and you can put Todd Gurley all in the mix as great running backs in the NFL. But to me, Le'Veon Bell, when he is. Operating at his peak and playing the way that he plays, and they because he can he can pound you, he can ground and pound you the way that the Steelers want to. He can also play any position on offense. I mean, I don't know if he can play quarterback, but like you can move him around any skill position. You can split him out wide. You can line him up in the slot. You can have him catch balls out of the backfield. And he's one of the best receiving backs out there. To me, he's the biggest difference maker. But I, I understand why the Steelers look at this and say we can't give you what you want from a financial perspective and still maintain the the overall health of our organization from a salary cap perspective. I get that, uh, but it stinks because the Steelers' offense with Bell and Ben and Antonio Brown and Big Ben is so much better when the when the big three are all together. And 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 it tells us as fans just the value of a non quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Because teams, they can care less. They don't second guess themselves in giving a quarterback all the money. But other positions, other players that might might mean more to their team than their quarterback, they second guess themselves. We just saw Matt Ryan get the entire bank <laughs> from the yeah. Falcons, right? One fifty, yeah, yes. one fifty million, eighty million guaranteed. Yes, but then Julio, of course, he has to beg for whatever it is he's looking to get. Le'Veon has to beg for whatever it is he's looking to get. The same can be said for OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. So it just tells us the value of a non-quarterback position because quarterbacks, they don't have to beg. Kirk Cousins, (laughs) he just sat and wait. He knew he was going to receive a lucrative deal. It was like a tax return. You know it's coming. 
<laughs> You're right. They don't. They don't have to ask. They don't have to beg. They don't have to ask. They just they just put their hands out and they get paid. It's unbelievable. Hey, do you, Bryant? Would you have? Do you think that players should reconsider playing on the franchise tag because of the? And Le'Veon Bell is different because he's a running back. But like Demarcus Lawrence, a defensive end. I mean, he's going to get a big chunk of change, and he puts the Cowboys in a weird spot heading into next year. And the and the way that it feels like. Uh, science sports science and medicine has changed nowadays like you have to suffer a really really bad injury to put your career at risk should guys be more open to playing on the franchise tag because of the guaranteed money and the ability to get to the open market no no i say no and listeners here's why stability is something that we all want not just from the athletic standpoint as far as playing professional football any professional sport in life stability and the franchise tag franchise tag does not provide stability it's a short term deal extremely short so worst case scenario if something was to happen as far as injury season ending injury or a bad play you only will see what you're guaranteed to see that year anything after that year you have no stability and that's the issue that NFL players have and why they decide not to sign that tender until the last minute because they are trying to find a way to get more stability, especially in a non-guaranteed sport. Listeners, we need to find a way as players to get more stability. Anything that you do whenever you're working in whatever your nine to five is, you don't want a one year deal. You want something that gives you a multi-year deal because you have a sense of stability. And that's the same thing these NFL players are going through. That's why year after year, you never see players, for the most part, rush to sign that franchise tag. Because they're looking for a lucrative deal that provides more stability with the years instead of having a one-year type of deal. That's a great point. And I think that it... um... I mean, you're right. Like, especially in Le'Veon Bell's situation, if he were to if he were to break his leg in December, uh, you know, he's not guaranteed to get paid in March, and that's what he's been he's been you know he's been grinding it out there for, and that's why he might consider sitting out some games. I, I think you're right. I don't think he will. I think he'll ultimately show up for Week One. But if he was going to sit out, it would be because he doesn't want to enter free agency coming off a year with that many touches. Um, ben McAdoo, former Giants coach appeared in uh, that, that Peter King column, and he had some interesting stuff. I thought you know, he did like a – he actually wrote for the column, and he wrote a what I learned um, after getting fired by the Giants. He said, I learned I need to handle players and work with players better. Take Odell Beckham. I needed to be better for him personally as a coordinator and a head coach. I was too busy trying to scheme ways to get him the ball that I didn't step back and see the big picture the way I should have. Um, he said he learned that the hard way not to handle success, he said he, he didn't – convince everybody after they won 11 games in 2016 that the season ended and that you got to hit the reset button and move forward in 2017 and everybody the Giants were sort of just coasting off their great year in 2016 heading into last year of course that didn't work out well said I learned that my survive and advance philosophy of handling the media needs to be overhauled in other words it needs to be better at media stuff and uh and then he said he he made it he he knows he needed to be better with tough decisions he made a mistake with the Eli thing I think we all know that um I'm curious about the your thought on the reset part of this because you've been on a lot of successful teams how important is that break in between having a good year 
and and not letting that success get to your head and carry you over into the following season. It's important because you can't afford to have a hangover from what you did a year ago. Mike Tomlin used to always emphasize to us as players, the NFL is about the here and now. It's a prove me year. The NFL is one professional sport where resume means nothing. Mm. Nothing. And he said that because we are not in a guaranteed sport. So every year you have to prove yourself. Granted, you may have two or three years left on your deal, but you have to prove yourself and show yourself Show show the organization that you're worth what you're getting. And the same can be said from the overall team standpoint. With the Giants, when they had that 11-5 and five year loss uh, to the Green Bay Packers, they consistently, in my opinion, went back in time to just review that year. Leading into the next season, they were still hyped about, we made the playoffs. We lost, but we made the playoffs. And clearly, that hungover remained with that team throughout 2017 and provided a huge disappointing season. They were the most disappointing team a year ago, in my opinion, because we all knew they were a playoff team before. We know they had the boat scandal, not scandal, but the boat situation that <laughs> led to let became a big time distraction. But everybody was returning. One of the best enter entertaining playmakers in the game was returning. Sterling Shepard returning. Eli Manning returning. Defense, nice roster assemble, all returning. And guess what? The hangover. Remain with them. I don't care what you do. And we're talking about having a hangover. From the drinkover standpoint, I'm not a drinker, boy. I've been around a lot of people that drink. Hangovers are not good. <laughs> no, they're not. And they're not good when it comes to the sport, when it comes to sports also because instead of looking forward, you're looking backwards. And while other teams are thriving, you're just surviving. And that was the issue, and I think it starts with the leadership as far as coaching. It's coaches, it's the coach, coaches' uh, uh, requirement. It's their job to make sure whatever you did a year ago is over and done with. You know, when you look at the New England Patriots, when they win the Super Bowl, they celebrate, and then next thing you see is Bill Belichick getting ready for his upcoming draft, getting ready for the free, agents, uh, free agent period. They celebrate, which is cool, but they don't dwell on it. And the Giants dwelled on the success they had the year ago, the year before 2017, and it led to a big-time disappointing 2017 campaign. Yeah, and you're right about the Belichick. You remember he famously said after they won that Super Bowl against the Falcons, he's like, we're 14 or we're 41 days behind the rest of the NFL. It's like, jeez, Bill, take a um, – McAdoo also wrote this too. He said, high expectations mean nothing. When you start listening to the prognosticators, it's poison. We had too much of that around our team in 2017. That will not happen to a team I coach again. That's that is that is amazing to me. I mean, and I'm not trying to give Ben McAdoo a bunch of credit for be out, being out here and like you know. Pre, I mean, I, I think it was frank and honest commentary that he used. I mean, I think he's trying to help himself look better in, in the public so he can get another job, and that's probably the end game here. But I think it's fascinating that that team, that Giants team, was actually listening to preseason predictions and getting excited about possibly going to the Super Bowl and, it, and really got caught up in it. It's, it's, it's just wild that a professional football team could do that, and yet it is a reality. Yeah, it, it's, it's the reality because you got to look at it like this, Will. The members from that 2016 campaign, right, the members from that team that successfully made it to the playoffs, the majority of those guys – weren't a part of that championship run they had years back. You had Eli, you had Victor Cruz, but for the most part, 
a lot of these players that were on the 2016 team never really taste playoff experience winning competitive football. So uh, the majority of, the, of those guys didn't know. They thought, you know what, we made it to the playoffs. That was it. That was like their Super Bowl. And that's when I, that's what I said earlier when I made the statement. About the boat. About the the whole boat distraction, and not to mention for the coaches. It's their job. Yeah. It starts from the top. You know what, we did nothing. That was a disappointing year. We lost in the playoffs. Let's find a way to get back to where we were a year ago, but go even further. Go even further. We're not talking about 2016. We're not. If any of the media asks you about 2016, we're on to 2017. We're on to week one. We're on to whoever we're playing week one, and, and that's where our focus is now. So therefore, it becomes a habit. Now, as players, you're not thinking about what you did right and what you did wrong. Now you're thinking about creating new history, and they didn't do that. So that's a big mistake on McAdoo, and of course, he's in He's acknowledging his mistakes, and yes, he thinks he's extremely slick because he's trying to audition verbally for another job opportunity if it comes up because he's, hey, I made a mistake. I know what I did wrong, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, he wants to get back in that head coaching seat, and probably he probably will You know, if he has a good opportunity as far as you know, you know, being an assistant. But it starts from the top, and then it works its way down to the leaders on the team. I think that's really fascinating what you just said, how you because you paraphrased. And I'm not saying that you were trying to do it, but you paraphrased Bill Belichick, and like we're on to whatever's next. But I mean, like there is, I think people get caught up in like, oh, like these this guy is using coach talk, and he's refusing to speak to the media, and he's a boring quote. It's like, no, you don't understand. This is really what you have to do. And sometimes you have to do it in real life, too. Like, you just have to say, we're on to this. We are, ta- we are, we are moving past what happened. We are putting a – we're drawing a line in the sand, and we are going to continue forward with what we, are, we, what we have to deal with that's in front of us. Because if you look back and you try to figure out what you did wrong before, you're not focusing on what you have to do right to fix things, right? I mean, that's, that's the yeah, difference. It, it, it doesn't make any sense because, you know, when I was at Florida State, and if I had a final the, to finish off the, uh, the fall school year what, in December, and then when the finals come in spring, why would I look back at the final I did in December? Right. Like, why would I rejoice about what I did in December or didn't do when I got a final right in front of me for spring? That doesn't make any sense. It's the same with football. If you had a successful year in 2016 and you're getting ready to attack a new season, why are you still praising and patting yourself on the back for what you did a year ago? It, does, it doesn't make sense. And for us from the outside looking in, now we now we know. Outside of the outside of the known, right? Well, now we know what the issue was. It was internally. Yep. As far as the entire team, from coaches to players, all still rejoicing over a playoff loss or getting into the playoffs, and they never looked directly in the front window. They just kept looking in the rear view. They assumed they were going to make the playoffs. It's fascinating stuff. All right, let's uh, let's play a quick game of would you rather I will give you two options and you have to pick one of them. Would you right, – Aaron Rodgers has said, he said today, he wants to play until he's 40. That's how we know it's still technically the offseason because a famous quarterback is saying he wants to play until he's 40. It's a, a rite and a passage for every offseason. For Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, Aaron Rodgers, they all got – everybody's got to say it. Uh, but my question to you, Brian, is would you rather have Aaron, the rest of Aaron Rodgers' career or 
the rest of Carson Wentz's career. So you get to pick uh, Aaron Rodgers, of course, is not, in fact, uh, 24, <laughs> I believe. Aaron Rodgers, 34. So you get you would get 10 extra years, basically, of Carson Wentz, or would you rather have Aaron Rodgers for however long he plays? Give me Aaron Rodgers. Mm. Aaron Rodgers is 34, so let's say, best case scenario, he plays for another five years. I like the five-year window Aaron Rodgers has over Carson Wentz, and here's why. One big-time year from Carson Wentz, year two, sophomore campaign, played real good football. But that's not enough for me to invest a pick in a guy when I have a known commodity in Aaron Rodgers. The only thing that could prevent Aaron Rodgers from being successful and dominating is an injury. That's it. All you need is Aaron Rodgers, and you know you're in the playoffs. Right now, if we give a playoff prediction, the Green Bay Packers will be in the playoffs based on the health of Aaron Rodgers. Knowing that he's healthy, that's all you need. 100%. Carson Wentz is not on that level yet as far as being able to single-handedly take a team and make them a playoff-caliber team. There are only a few elite quarterbacks that can do that, can do that and Aaron Rodgers is, is, that, is one. So the, a five-year window for me, I believe more in Aaron Rodgers. Granted, he's older, but I believe more in his ability to win me ball games than Carson Wentz, who had a huge, huge year. And oh, by the way, he's coming off an injury also. Mm-hmm. No, you're so, not wrong. Yeah, so for me, I'm taking Aaron Rodgers. I, I think that's the right answer. And it's weird because you're like, listen, you could have a potential MVP quarterback for the next What's crazy is that you know we don't like you never know how long somebody will play football. It's a very it's a, it's a, obviously a dangerous game, but like Carson Wentz could retire at thirty five, which and Aaron Rodgers could retire at forty one, and then all of a sudden you got seven years of Aaron Rodgers versus eleven years of Carson Wentz, and I don't know what Carson Wentz's ceiling is because we haven't seen him enough. You're right, like we haven't we've only seen two years of him. I know what Aaron Rodgers' ceiling is, and it's the best quarterback in football. So I think I would I would agree with you in that regard. When you look at the Packers, since Aaron, Aaron Rodgers' first year, uh, it, when Brett Favre left in 2008, they went 6-10. and 10. Since then, they've, they've won 11, 10, 15, 11, 8, 12, wow. 10, 10, and 7 games. And the two times they won less than 10 games were when he injured his collarbone. Exactly, exactly. And I know, you know, a lot of listeners listening to us now may be like, McFadden, you're tripping. No, I I definitely (laughs) would take Carson Wentz off for one year. Remember, years ago, that was a real big time up and coming young quarterback that had a huge year. What is it, rookie campaign at RG3? Yep. And you remember. Yeah, 2012, everybody was ready to anoint him as the next elite big-time quarterback. So this was this was a question back then after 2012 with RG3 and another stable veteran quarterback. The majority might have selected RG3. You're right. If you had gone back in 2012, and that's the year that Joe Flacco was Super Bowl MVP, and you said that, hey, in six years, the rookie of the year, RG3, is going to be backing up Joe Flacco on the Ravens, people would be like, oh, you're high. Please, please, please get out of my face. You're insane. Because um, yeah. RG3 was the next thing. That's a great point. One year in football, especially with these quarterbacks, you need a larger sample size before you make a definitive statement. In fact, this time last year, most people would have taken Dak Prescott over Carson <clears throat> Wentz. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. I got a short, short-term uh, quarterback would you rather for you. Would you rather, for just 2018, have Andrew Luck or Case Keenum just for this year? <laughs> 
Case Keenum. Wow. Yeah. I'm taking Case Keenum because I know he will be ready week one. We're still hoping for, for Andrew Luck, right? Yep. We're still hoping for Andrew Luck. And I believe, I've been saying this the entire offseason, I believe the Indianapolis Colts, they're the least talented team in the entire NFL. At least Case Keenum has talent surrounding him on both sides of the football. You can't say the same for Aaron Rod, uh, Andrew Luck, I'm sorry. When you look at that Colts team right now, I mean, let's look at some of the bottom dwellers we believe will be horrible in 2018. Start with the New York Jets. Technically, in my opinion, from top to bottom, offensively and defensively, I mean, I would say the Jets have a better roster than the Colts. I think that's probably accurate, especially if you count the defense. Defensively, the Colts are really, really bad. Yes. I mean, defensively, you got Tremaine Johnson. Um, you, you got Claiborne who plays some real good football. Adams, I love his game as a safety. May, uh, Williams, Leonard Williams, yeah. I mean, yeah. I know. I, I don't think. I don't think it's a question. The Jets have a better defense than the than the Colts do for sure. I mean, to me, the Colts basically hinges on Andrew Luck. And That's the, it. And it's like, would you rather have the? I mean, it's basically, would you rather have the floor of Case Keenum, which you think is probably going to get you to around eight and eight if he plays similar to what he did last year with the upside of being a good team Maybe. like the Vikings. He'll be above 500 if he played like he played a year ago. Defense is still pretty good in Denver. Real good pass catchers. Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas. Got to find a quality, I guess, effort from the backfield. But they could be above 500. Now, that division is, will be tough. So mm-hmm. that, that will be a tough division. All right. Would you rather have, for the rest of their careers, Jalen Ramsey or Joey Bosa? What's tough one? Oh, wow. Play into your biases here a little bit. Oh, my goodness. Would I rather for the rest of their career? (laughs) That Joey Bosa is tough. Mm -hmm. The tough one, Will. He wasn't supposed to do me like this. (laughs) (sighs) That's a. Okay, let me see. It's basically, would you rather have the elite pass rusher or the shutdown corner? And in this case, you have to, you don't have, you can do whatever you want, but I mean, like, it would probably behoove you for the sake of objectivity to pretend that Jalen Ramsey went to, like, uh, Michigan or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Boy, that's the trouble. You don't man. have, you don't have, he's a hell raiser. I know he is. And, and the thing is about this question, the issue that I'm having, they both help each, each other out. Yeah. And they, they both, they're tied to the hip, to say the least. I gotta go in the secondary, man. Mm. I, well, that, secondary. I, I mean, I thought I thought you would do it. I, I mean, it was basically a test of your willpower. I am curious. So, do you think that it's can a can a good secondary or can a great cornerback impact a defense as much as a great pass rusher? Because I feel like one great cornerback. The problem with one great – if you have just one great cornerback, and the Jaguars have more than that, clearly, but if you have one great cornerback, can't offenses sort of avoid his side of the field and if there's no pass rush, um, find the time to find open guys? Whereas if you have no great cornerbacks but have a great pass rusher, you know, quarterbacks can't avoid him. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but if you have a great corner, the thing about that and knowing that opposing offenses would avoid him is that you can devote more attention to the other – secondary players as far as whoever the other corner is or the other nickel 
find a way to devote more attention to them as far as using the safety to help them and knowing you have a Jalen Ramsey type type on the opposite side where the quarterback is refusing to look his way. So when you talk about defensive linemen, impactful defensive linemen like a Joey Bosa, they can double him. They can try to chip him. They can run away from him. And that could really neutralize his ability to dominate. But when they're neutralizing a top-tier corner, now as a defensive coordinator, as a play caller, you know what? They're not looking uh, Jalen's side. So safety, devote your attention to the opposite side. And that's why I like Jalen in this scenario over Joey because if they're shying away from him, now you can use that as an advantage from the defensive standpoint. And also, too, when you have an elite corner and you have issues getting pressure, guess what you can do? Blitz. Mm, Blitz. Make it hot so the secondary players can squat. That's what we used to say in Pittsburgh. When that, when, because pressure is something that you can create in many different ways, either from a four-man rush, three-man rush, five-man rush, six-man rush. But playing quality man-to-man, you only, you're only able to do that if you have players to do that. You can have a subpar front with subpar linebackers, but if you blitz enough, somebody may come through and get free. That's a good point. That's true. You can cover up. You can create your own pass rush for, out of nothing. I mean, like you can. I mean, obviously, you would rather have a better pass rusher, but you can create pass rush. You can't create great coverage, although you can mask it with a good pass rusher. And I think the other thing too, like you look at what Bill Belichick does all the time with his defenses, is you know you could take Jalen Ramsey and put him on the number two option. And then double the number one option with your with your second cornerback and a safety, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to create a major uh, decision for that offensive coordinator and that quarterback on where they're going to go with the football because you're either testing a guy like Jalen Ramsey with a weaker option or you're throwing into double coverage, so you have to create new opportunities. And when you're the defensive coordinator, you're the head coach, you're the you're the defense. You know where they're going to maybe you're going to try and run a tight end up the seam, and so you can lock in on that. I mean, there's just there's just I don't know. I think that's a fascinating fascinating game of chess in terms of how people build out defenses. So to me, it's yeah. an interesting yeah. question. I mean, you know. It- those are two dynamic young great no, players. No wrong answer. <laughs> no wrong answer. But for me, I'm going with the cornerback, and hopefully, listeners, you understand my reasons. <laughs> going with Jalen. I love it. All right, Brian McFadden, great stuff. At BMac underscore Sports Talk, you can watch him on CBS Sports HQ every day, more or less every day, most of the week. Uh, live, twenty four seven streaming service on CBS Sports, free to listen, free to watch. Thanks as always, my man. Thank you for having me.